A rich tradition. College football podcast is now live. Hello and welcome to a rich tradition college football podcast. I'm Spencer Van Horn. He's Robbie Steltonpole. Two friends, one love, and that is college football. Roberto, how are you, my friend? Man, I'm doing great. Been a little busy. Been a little busy tonight, um, as you had fun laughing at me about. Always fun to laugh at you. Yes. Uh, but no, I mean, with you. yeah, yeah. Well, I wasn't laughing, but that's fine. Things are going very well, man. I, I've got I've got about a little less than two weeks before I go back to pre-planning for teaching. So and, and I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to it. So it, it's not some like dreading thing. But man, I got I got to just tell you uh, what I'm excited about is the Pac-12. I'm I'm excited about the Pac-12 because Spencer, we are covering the Pac-12 tonight, and I think it's going to be one of the most underappreciated conferences as it always is, because not many people stay up on this side of the coast for Pac-12 after dark, and it's fantastic. Yeah, there's a there's a lot more I guess uh, optimism in the Pac-12 than maybe people give it credit for. There's mm-hmm. always the doom and gloom of the Pac-12, but uh, maybe there's a lot more optimism over there than people give it credit for yeah no i agree um but we're gonna start off with some news what you what you got for us there obviously it's a a big extension uh that kirby smart got on what is this the 21st of july big extension uh 100 and what 112 million dollars over the next 10 years for uh for the head coach of the georgia bulldogs the defending national championship team pretty big payday for Kirby Smart makes him one of the top guys, or does it make him the top guy in terms of payment? I mean, yeah, he's he's the number one <clears throat> he's the number one paid coach in the country as of now. I think it's well deserved. I, th- I mean, I think also there's an argument to be made. He's probably not paid enough. None of these coaches are paid enough, comparatively speaking, to the the TV money and the you know the sponsorships and stuff that they bring in for their schools. Uh, he he deserves it. You're, you brought you brought Georgia their first national title in 41 years. You are you've done so well since being there. He, here's the question I wanted to bring you. You do not know I was going to ask this, but this is something that I've just been thinking about with the current state of college football, with the stress, the strain that they put on these coaches. Yes, they pay them well, but there's just a higher level of stress than probably ever has been due to NIL and, and uh, transfer portal and all that stuff. Do you think it's nuts to think that maybe Kirby May not, may not. I'm not saying he won't. I'm not saying he's going to get fired, but he may not be the Georgia coach after ten years. Not because of getting fired, not anything like that, but just burnout. Yeah, I mean, it could certainly play itself out that way. Um, plenty of coaches have feel like it's been hinted at several times that with the way the calendar is, like you mentioned how much is asked of, how much they have to go, you know, all of the road, the grind of the whole deal. And again, like you said, they get paid a lot, but there's, you know, there's only so much a person can take in terms of not getting some time off, not getting some time to yourself. There's only so much of that a person can take. And while Kirby is the head coach and he can kind of set those schedules a little bit, if you take too much time, well, then you're just going to be behind. So you can, but you can't. And that's a dangerous game to play. Yeah, uh, I could definitely see uh, any number of coaches that yeah. might exit stage left 
after a certain period of time, uh, especially if they're being worked a certain amount and, you know, maybe they don't have the success. Perhaps the success of winning a national championship is makes it a little bit easier. But then again, some of the com- comments that have been made at SEC Media Days, it sounded like, hey, we're we won a national championship. And even before the night was over, as we were celebrating, people were talking about, let's do it again next year. Can't mm-hmm. wait to repeat and, and things like that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it really is a 24-7 kind of job, 365. and the break, the time off, the time to step away and, and reset your gears is is very limited. Just with the history that we know about Kirby, of how much time and effort and the consistent perpetual effort he puts into, <coughs> excuse me, he puts into coaching with his kids getting older and, you know, they'll be doing more things and, and all this different stuff. I, I know I'm talking about Kirby, but to make it a bigger scale, I don't know if we're going to see a lot of coaches coach for, 25 30 years anymore i i i just i just don't i just don't think that's going to happen anymore he even joked about it before he went to sec media days he was at a coaching convention in texas yep and joked about you know it it, it's a grind it's too much and i almost put you know my resignation in and And he was talking about covid just to be clear here's talking about covid year two just just right right yeah right but it I'm not, I'm not, I'm not discrediting you. Right, I, understand. I, was, I was just adding more context to that because some people may not yeah. have heard that or know what you're talking about. Right. And then hear, oh, he's talking about quitting. Well, it, it was because of the stress of the COVID year. But keep going, Spencer. Well, I, yeah, and so that's what I was saying is that it was more of a tongue-in-cheek, kind of being sarcastic, not really uh, – obviously with the contract that he just signed. I'm sure on Thursday he was aware of the extension and you know that it was close to being finalized. So all I mean is – you know, he was tongue in cheek about it at that point. Mm-hmm. And there's always that sense of, you know, if people are joking about things, maybe they, you know, there's a reality behind that kind of thing. Uh, speaking of SEC media days, anything stick out to you from these first handful of days? There's obviously been a lot of things uh, that have popped up here and there, some of them uh, bigger than other things. But anything from either SEC media days or uh, <clears throat> ACC media days? Anything, uh, I think, earlier in the week, Big 12 media days? I mean, I I think I'm glad that players are getting to speak, you know, are getting their time to talk and stuff like that. Um, I I don't really care about what their outfits are. I don't really care about their shoes or what they're wearing and stuff like that. But at the same time, like, there's not really anything that usually happened, or I'm sorry, there's nothing that's happened this year at media days that has like blown me away. Like there's not a bomb that was dropped. There's, there's nothing like that here or there. It's just been like common trash talk or coach speak or, Hey, our conference is incredible. Like that's really the three things that we're getting right. Or, Oh, I'm sorry. Every coach is either defending or, or pushing back against NIL and transfer portal. That's the four things that are getting talked about. And there's lots of I don't knows when it comes to because yeah. those that are sp- talking about regulations and they're talking about uh, putting forth guardrails and let's get this you know together and we've got to put restrictions and blah, all those conversations end up being, well, I don't know what the rules would be or what the guidelines should be, but we got to get regulations. And so you're sort of like, well, I, I get it and I, I agree regulations would be great, but I've always been told if you're going to complain about a problem. And this is certainly a problem, but if you're going to complain about a problem, where are the solutions at? And and in fairness, I'm sure these guys are offering up solutions and thought processes behind closed doors, but that's always sort of the aggravating thing is it's 
it might not be in their best interest to put that stuff out and out in the open. So then they just have to stop and say, well, we need regulations. We need regulations. And then it sounds incomplete because, well, what do you have in mind? You're you're in the thick of it. You tell mm-hmm. us what you think uh, yeah. they should do or what what are you in your text group talking about with the other coaches? We, we'd love to hear what that, that sounds like. Yeah, no, I, I, sister, I think that's great. <clears throat> I, I agree. I, it's just a whole lot of complaining, you know. But again, a comment was made, and I, I think this, I think there is a, some fairness to this. Kirby is going to make seven figures a year moving forward, rightfully so. Okay, but at the same time, if you're going to make seven figures a year, you probably shouldn't be. You probably shouldn't be get. You should probably shouldn't be get caught up in what kids shouldn't and shouldn't make per month in NIL money. I know that we can talk more about that next week, but that, that, that's just one thing. That was another thing that just stood out to me was that just. Right. And I think, and, and again, we'll, we will move to the next thing. The solution or the thought process, I would imagine there has something to do with sustainability. I don't know yeah. exactly how, you know, much, how solid of a ground that is, but I get the impression that that has something to do with sustainability. Uh, at least a little bit. But yes, it does sound, you know, the the sound bites have not been great this week in terms of, you know, what kids should and shouldn't be getting versus you know, the contract that you just signed. Yeah. All right. Uh, Pac-12 is on the docket for today. We've done our previews a little bit different this year, and we're going to uh, we're going to sort of create me and Rob will do a, a four tier kind of system for each uh, each of the conferences. A playoff contender at the very, very top, uh, maybe teams that will challenge for the conference championship, uh, and maybe those two tiers sort of bleed into each other just a little bit. Then there's tier three kind of teams that are on the wing, maybe a, a group that if enough things go right, they could be in the uh, title conversation by the end of the year. And then tier four, kind of a group that's still working on things uh, and potentially you know teams that you feel like are going to uh, not do well for uh, the upcoming season. Rob, we'll start at the bottom and work our way up. Is that fair? Yeah, man. Start at the bottom. Now we're here. There you go, Drake. Nice. Tier four, still working on things. Uh, I've ended up with as much optimism as I think there is in the Pac-12. I've ended up with six teams in tier four for the Pac-12. So I've still got six teams in this. uh, Half the conference is in tier four for me. How many teams did you end up with uh, in tier four? Four, yeah, I, and I think <clears throat> one of them the you're not going to agree with. Well, but. and I would think the two that you don't have are teams that I'm sort of giving a thumbs up to that I think might by the end of the year might be in in tier three, if that makes sense. Yeah, and and one of those would be uh, I think it would be or at least maybe even three of them for me I think could be moving up to the next tier by the end of the year in Arizona, Cal. And Washington State. Those are three teams I have in tier four that I think right now are sitting in a particular spot, but mm-hmm. by next by the end of the year could be up a up a level. So you want to hear my four and then we can kind of just talk it, about them? Yes. All right. <clears throat> Mine are Colorado, um, Arizona, mm-hmm. Stanford, mm-hmm. and Cal. Those so I three. ended up with I ended up with Colorado, Arizona State, Stanford, Arizona, Cal, and Washington State. Okay, so how do we how, how you want to do this with us having differing differing opinions on this? So let's start with Stanford because I feel like that's a we agree uh, on one it. that you didn't one you didn't think we would agree on. 
Yeah, I did not. I, I thought you were gonna. I thought you were gonna get angry at me like you did last year. Uh, Stanford with another uh, struggle season last year, and I think I know what they're trying to do at mm-hmm. Stanford, but there's no guarantee that it'll work. Places like Stanford, Iowa, and uh, even a a place like Wisconsin have they've been a set kind of team for a long time. And if they wanted to switch to a pro style, or not a pro style, but a spread style, we're going to throw the ball a whole lot more. In a similar way to the triple option, it's going to take a little while to adjust your personnel from power football to wide open spread football. And I think that's what's happening at Stanford. And I don't think they did it because maybe they wanted to. I think it happened, it started happening because of injuries on the offensive line. And then they've started to make this transition to throwing the ball a whole lot more and letting that be the focus of their team. And so now they're maybe in a position where they're ready to start having more success with that. Maybe Stanford could be in the next tier up by the end of the year. I'm not guaranteeing it because it's been a struggle over these last few years. I will put myself in a believe it when I see it kind of situation for uh, for Stanford. But of course, I believe wholeheartedly in uh, in David Shaw to get it done. But we've got to see it first. And see, I'm just I'm 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 where I was last year. I'm no longer a believer in David Shaw. That I do not. That does not mean that I think he is some. He sucks as a coach. I think his time at Stanford has run its course. I I am I am of the mindset that I think he is one of those coaches that if he went to a different school that did not have so many restrictions, I think I think there's a world in which where he he is a really good coach and he is really successful. However. I just think his time has run out. That's neither here nor there. They're returning. To, they've got 10 returning on offense, 7 returning on defense. This could be the year. This could be the year, though, where where David Shaw proves me wrong, and they they put it together because, look, they they, they are returning so many players from a 3-9 and nine team. Um, but I just – I don't know where the hope comes from. Can you can you tell me where the hope comes from? And, like, do you have an argument for keeping – putting them in Tier 3 – or was it just kind of like, no, they need to be in Tier 4? So Tanner McKee is the reason I think they have potential to finish at in into Tier uh, 3 at the end of the year. Tanner McKee, pro-style quarterback, uh, or I'm sorry, not necessarily pro-style quarterback, but a quarterback who has a lot of pro potential. That doesn't always mean everything at the college level, but it's a good start. I do believe in David Shaw. And I think you do too, just maybe, like you said, the time at Stanford running its course. I, b- I still believe in David. I still believe uh, or will believe in uh, Tanner McKee. Uh, EJ Smith is a really solid uh, running back as well, the son of, oh my goodness, Emmett there at the University of Florida. And then they do return their top three pass catchers from last year. Only one of the top pass catchers from last year leaves and they return everybody else. So, a group of wide receivers that are familiar, if they're going to continue to throw the football, they're they're set in a system or set up with personnel that's ready to take that next step forward, at least from an experience standpoint. So I like that part of it. Uh, I'm not guaranteeing a a huge finish because obviously the schedule is a nightmare. So those are the the schedule's one reason to think they're not. But I think the personnel matches is starting to match what they want to do. Yeah, and and look, I mean, here, here's the problem though with their and you're, you're right, you're absolutely right. The problem is their schedule, though, right? 
Like, yes, no, absolutely. If they if they don't make it to the next tier, it's because the schedule gets the best of them. Yeah. Do you think if they run if they run a if they have a bad year, is is Shaw on the hot seat? I don't think so. I think if you're Stanford, you're probably not firing David Shaw. Okay. I think David probably has way too much respect at the collegiate level and too much at the NFL level that if you're Stanford, unless scandal and maybe a few more years of not getting it done, maybe you do. But I would think at this point, maybe not. You're four and eight, four and two, and three and nine in the last three years. You had nine win seasons in 18 and 17. They might be patient with him as he as he moves through this. Okay. Been there for as long as he has 12 years. This will be his 12th year. All right. Next is Colorado. I, I, I just think, and you're going to hear this as we go through these conferences, I think Colorado is just in a bad spot. They have, they're, they're just in a bad spot, whether it's from what, you know, whether it's lack of talent, whether it's whatever excuse you want to come under the sun. But Carl Durrell, their head coach, he's going into his third year here. They're returning seven on offense, five on defense. And I, I'm going to tell you, man, outside of, uh, outside of the running back, I don't really know what to be excited about. I'll give you something. Go ahead. Brandon Lewis, quarterback, uh, took care of the football really well last year, had a 10 touchdown to three interception ratio, and that was almost top 25 in terms of that ratio. So they took care of the football really well last year and were, what, plus six in the turnover margin. So keep taking care of the football, Buffaloes. (laughs) That's all I got. That's all I got for Colorado. What you got for me? Uh, the only other things I had for Colorado, I think maybe they had a couple of bright moments on defense last year. They did hold Texas A&M to 10 points. They did have a shutout on defense at one point. That was lonely Arizona, I understand. But there might have been some bright moments defensively. They took care of the football. Maybe if they can build around that stuff, uh, maybe they can you know, have a successful-looking season. Uh, I mean, heck, maybe if they can get back to four or five wins, that'll be enough but I don't know if that's enough to move them out of tier four, barring some sort of superstar breaks out. If, if Brandon Lewis turns into a really good quarterback or, you know, they find a wide receiver again, they did have some guys exit as well, which also counts against them. Uh, Jerry Rice's son uh, exiting the program. So that counts against them as well. Yeah, I, I just, I th- you're right. I, I, I'm just not strong on Colorado. There are some like I'm very like I think this conference is gonna be very fun this year. But man, we're not starting off with the most beautiful of of groups because I I just think some of these teams in this league are not very good. And I'll mention another one: Arizona. One now, Arizona, I feel like is another one. I'm a little more hopeful for Arizona to maybe be in the in tier three by the end of the year because of their quarterback. Because I like their quarterback a little bit. Yep. Yep. Jaden yep. Delora. Mm-hmm. Um, Jaden Delora. Jane Delora, just want to make sure I say his name correct. Coming off, coming off a, a thirty-six hundred yard season, didn't he come for? Didn't he transfer from Washington State? He did. Yeah. See, I knew I heard that name before. Okay. So, I mean, th- they've got some possibility coming in. You know, a quarterback that I, I just don't think you can get any worse than they were last year. But unfortunately, they they play a they, they're another team that plays a tough schedule. Like they play San Diego State, Mississippi State. Those are definitely losses. They play North Dakota State, which could possibly be a win. Give me another win on their schedule. Exactly. And that could be the thing that really gets them by the end of the year. Colorado and North Dakota State, I think you mentioned those two. 
potent. I mean, by the time they get to Arizona State at the end of the year, if the bubble burst on in, uh, on Arizona State, then maybe they could get that win uh, by the end of the season. So there maybe could be three wins at that point. But is that enough to move them up to Tier 4? Maybe it's not. Like you said, the schedule is going to be really uh, tough for them, and I, I might not get my hopeful wish of moving them up. All right, so you put you put Arizona State on your list, right? Yes, I have them in Tier 4. And, and let me just be honest. I I failed. I should have put them – I should have put them at tier four as well. So I agree with you. So I have five teams in tier four. Um, so I, I just, I, I, as I was going through this, I looked at their record from last year and I just quickly, I just, while I was making this tier list, I thought about that and I thought it would be okay. But then I forgot, oh my gosh, they're losing everybody. They lost coaches. They, they probably will not have their head coach next year. They, they definitely are in the bottom tier. Yeah, the only thing that plays in their favor is 94 years of NFL coaching experience is on is on their coaching staff now uh, with the guys that have been brought in to replace the mass uh, exodus. They did bring in some transfers as well uh, to sort of supplement the 16 guys that left on that side. The things that concern me, though, are we're going to try to be a, you know, there's almost, I think Herm Edwards has mentioned we're going to try to win games in the fourth quarter and we're going to try to keep things close and win it in the fourth quarter. And it's like, that's not the game that everybody else is playing. USC is going to have or try to have a 21 point lead by the end of the first quarter. UCLA is going to have, you know, they're, they're in that category as well. There's a lot of these teams that are opening it up on offense. And if you don't have the ability, if you're not chasing after the ability to do the same thing, it's going to be a long road, and you're replacing a lot of people on defense, a good defensive unit last year, but you're replacing a lot of pieces from there. So you're going to have to try to open things up a little bit offensively. And who would you end up doing that with? Emory Jones is not the most proven commodity at the quarterback position. Yeah. And if him, you're going to yeah. put him in a system that's a pro-style, methodical, keep things close, I don't know if that's going to fit his style. I was kind of surprised when he transferred there to begin with. Well, here's the thing. I'm I'm surprised that we're hearing a bunch of people be positive about Emory Jones at freaking Arizona State. The kid, the kid will have much better athletes and players around him at Florida than he did at Arizona State. And you're going to tell me he's going to prosper at Arizona State? Like, come on. Yeah. Like he I'm, was in an offense at Arizona State, or I'm sorry, at Florida, with a quarterback or with a coach. I'll get it right here in a minute. With a coach <laughs> that – you know, believed in him. Dan yes. Mullen stuck around Emory Jones for a long time. Stubbornly, yes. And even if Dan Mullen and sort of his flirtation with the NFL kind of threw off that final year of development for Emory Jones, maybe that's the case. And maybe Herm Edwards, you know, taps into that four-star potential. But I, I don't know if it's going to fit in this offense. So I have a hard time. And plus, the NCAA could come out of nowhere and and hit them with a big, big thump on the nose in the middle of the season. And there's no telling where this team would be at. Yeah. No, I agree. All right. Who, 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 who's the next team you got? So two other teams that I have in Tier 4 that I think could end up moving up and maybe have a little bit more faith than Stanford and Arizona were Cal and Washington State uh, that I've got potentially moving up to Tier 3, but they're in mm -hmm. Tier 4 uh, as of right now. Did You you had Cal in Tier 4, right? Yes. All right, you, what, what are you thinking for them there? Do you feel good about their potential to finish the season? Sort of what's your thoughts on Cal? I think them losing everybody from this past season 
is a I think I think they're in a huge talent deficit, and Justin Wilcox is in a situation where I think that he could be playing like th- this season for Cal is very important. While, while all Pac-12 teams this year, it's important because oh, you've got USC and UCLA leaving, and so Cal has an opportunity if they can get through this season and get some momentum to where next season could be a more of a bright spot for them. Would you agree or disagree with that? I think that's fair. They've got a lot of youth on offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, keep your head above water this year could could go a long way for the the next season. But I feel like his, I like Justin Wilcox and a little, I like a lot of the progress he has made outside of COVID. Go ahead. I I think it's been, but it's been the same problem on my end at least from what I've seen when I watch Cal play. Man, they play tough as crap on defense, but their offense yes. is so bad. It's yeah, it's, only twenty three points a game last year. It's just so bad, dude. Well, I'm wondering if Jack Plummer, the Jake the Snake, uh, yeah, I just the, wanted uh, to say I just wanted to say Jake the Snake Plummer. Sorry, I understand. If Jack Plummer can transition over, if they can utilize any of his past happy Purdue days, and he was never the full time starter at Purdue, but if they can tap into some of that past happy stuff from his Purdue days. Maybe that helps bring along some of these young wide receivers and uh, Jaden Ott, who is a young running back as well, that they're going to uh, sort of center some of their offense around uh, for California. So I think, like like we said, I think the youth is here that there could be a pop going into next year, but I think there are some opportunities in the schedule to maybe see some glimpses of that uh, this upcoming season. But I agree. I think maybe the COVID year still has them pushed back a little bit, uh, but taking advantage of a full off season without a lot of restrictions They're obviously in California, they're in the Bay area, which had plenty of extra restrictions and longer lasting restrictions that affected the development of the football program. And if that stuff is no longer an issue, maybe Wilcox is back on track and some of these young players are, are ready to step up uh, better than they would have been before. No, I, I think I think that's good. Um, you know, now that we're talking about this a little bit more, like I, I don't I don't dislike Justin Wilcox. I just think right. he's he's been so focused on one thing, and he does that thing really well. And in the Pac-12, like if you can play hardcore defense, like you're going to be able to stay in games, right? But you, you, man, I've just I've been waiting for this change in offense for three years now, and I've yet to see it. Yeah, and and they got a third year offensive coordinator as well. I mean, the, the, the prodding along could continue uh, going forward, and, and they not tap into Jake Plummer. So let, let's keep our fingers crossed for Jake's sake, uh, Jack's sake, uh, that maybe they open things up a little <laughs> Sorry, bit with him. I, I didn't mean to break you <laughs> with that. Well, no, it's it. No, I've done it the whole time. I've been calling the guy Jake all 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 week long, trying to get okay, ready today. Yeah. I, I can't not call him Jake. Uh, okay. Washington State's the other team I had in tier four, and Did that's you where I disagree. No, okay, so I'm, let's I'm, start there with Washington on, State on your end or my end. Uh, your end, if you like them going up, let's go ahead and start on your end because I guess you have them in tier three, and so we can start with tier three because we've gone through all of my tier four teams. Okay, so we can move up to tier three with your Washington State. I'm just more positive on them. Um, they went seven and six last year. I know they're only returning four on offense, uh, six on defense though. I'm, I'm high on Washington state because I believe in Cameron Ward. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the transfer from Incarnate, um, Incarnate Word. If you, if you get, folks, if you haven't had a chance, man, go watch some highlights of this kid. Yes, I know he's playing in FCS, but he essentially won what is it two times or only once? He won the he won the Heisman, essentially the FCS Heisman last year, and uh, like I, I I think he, he didn't win it twice. He won it once, but he he is he's a dude. He is very good, and. I'm proud of him for, first of all, getting to the FBS level, having an opportunity to go play in Power 5, and and he's doing that. And I just think he has an opportunity to elevate this team because, you know, last year, I just, I, just, I mean, Jaden Delora, you know, did, did his job, did, did a good job at Washington State. But, you know, the, obviously they wanted to try to make a change, and, and they did. Now their, their schedule is tough. I mean, you're going to hear that because I, I just think the Pac-12 – I don't know what they did, but they decided, hey, let's just play really tough teams in our non-con this year. They go to they go to Wisconsin, which is just going to be a tough game. Um, they do play Idaho and they play Colorado State, but uh, going at Wisconsin, being at USC, at Oregon State, at Stanford, at Arizona, those two are probably more winnable. Uh, I think for for me, I I'm putting them in tier three, even though I think they're probably going to end up being seven and six again. I, I don't, but I I I still think that's good for. For Washington State, I, th- I think that is in the wings. I think, but but what if what if he hits? What if Cameron hits be- better than I think he's going to? And they end up getting I don't know. I, I'm just going to throw this out there. They end up eight and five because they get to a bowl game. Like I, so that's where I'm at. I, I'm just I'm just positive on them because of what they because the quarterback they have coming in and what they what they were able to do last year. The defensive improvements last year were pretty were pretty uh, staunch. Thirty eight and a half points per game in 2020 of course that was the shortened season but nonetheless 38 and a half 31 uh, before that and then just 24 this past season so I don't hate Washington State being in tier three seven and six last year potentially eight wins could be on the board uh, for them the the question will be Cameron Ward what 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 do they get out of a guide moving up from the FCS level, a really good player from the FCS level, as as you already mentioned. And we've seen FCS quarterbacks move from the FCS into the Pac-12 and have success. Uh, Vernon Adams, I think it was, for Oregon back in, what, 2015, 2016, something like that. So mm-hmm. uh, Vernon, Vernon Adams, I believe, moved, was it from Eastern Washington? Yeah. A team with the Red Field. Either way, Man, he made the jump. We were like, I know we didn't yeah. have a podcast in, but do you remember how hyped we were for him? Yeah, because yeah. because we were like, oh my gosh, like this kid could be the truth. This kid could finally get them over the hump. And you know what? I'm gonna be honest. If you looking back on his career, and I know I'm not trying to deviate, but if he doesn't get hurt, I, I, I think I think they do end up having a better season. But keep going. Well, I was going to say they've got two of their top pass catchers to uh, to replace guys that. Right at 1,700 yards receiving last year and had 16 touchdowns between the two of them and well over 100 yards between the two of them. They're also losing their uh, top two running backs. So plenty of production from last year to replace. And maybe that does Cameron Ward some good. He's walking in with some fresh faces. He's a fresh face himself. We can all rally around one another and and, and get it done. Maybe that works in his favor. But uh, there's right at this moment, there's not a lot of proven pieces to lean on uh, offensively for uh, for Washington State, but I'll I'll agree with you, or I'll uh, I'll cede you the point of a, a potential seven win, eight win season is not uh, ludicrous in my opinion. I mean, and look at their defensive look at their defensive stats from last year. 
I mean, they only allowed three teams to go over 30 points on them last year. I mean, that can continue. I mean, yeah, I'm just and and I I could be a little higher on them, but I'm okay with it. You know, especially in this scenario, like if I if I'm a little higher on them just because of the hope of this quarterback being good, I'm okay being wrong, if that makes sense in that regard. Washington, Oregon State, and UCLA are my team or my tier three teams. I like UCLA to potentially uh, push for a conference championship contendership, but as of right now, I'm going to put them in tier three. And um, Oregon say, State, say those, I think is say those teams one time. So sorry, you, we. I, I just I, I I my wife was trying to talk to me while I was trying to hear. I'm sorry. Washington. Oregon State and UCLA are uh, my tier three teams with UCLA potentially trending towards tier two. Oregon State. I love them. I want to I want to really like them, but I think I need another season of Mm -hmm. taking another step forward uh, for this group who was really, really good offensively last year in in several categories. Uh, And then Washington, Michael Penix feels like it's. I don't want to count him out completely uh, there at Washington, but I think Washington's my weakest tier three team uh, considering I've, I've heard people not really super stellar on uh, on the offense that they've got there or the talent level, I should say, uh, that they've got there at Washington. Yeah, man. Um, Washington, Where do you want to start? Like, Which team? You want to start with Washington? Yeah, sure, because that's the team that you ended with, and, and you and I actually yep. disagree on one, so we'll, we'll talk about the disagreement here in a minute. Um Washington for me is like an anomaly in the sense of you kind of forget what happened the year before when they lost their first year coach right after right after Peterson. You know? Um, you kind of don't it's just weird that they ended up going four and eight. Uh, had a really bad year. Um, they you know, they smoked Arkansas State, but then the rest of the games that they had, they didn't score. They only scored 30 or more points three times all season, man. And they're one and a half they averaged. Yeah, like that's just not good. And and look, man, I, Penix was an awesome story at Indiana two years ago. He was a great story. But I think we saw that it might have been like, yes, it was his playmaking ability at times, but it was more about also the wide receivers that they had at Indiana with Fry Fogel, just a dude. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not. I'm not too happy, uh, like or excited about Penix at Washington. Not because I don't believe in his necessarily ability, but I just don't believe in their offensive philosophy because I don't know who they are. I don't know what they want to be, and that's because they showed no identity last year. I don't hate it. I don't hate any of that. It's going to be uh, now. Uh, Kalen DeBoer is was an offensive coordinator with Penix in '19 at. Indiana. So they have a relationship. They've been able to get the, or uh, DeBoer has been able to get the best out of Penix that season. I believe it was a 68% pass completion uh, for Penix. So if they can tap into more of that magic, then perhaps this will, uh, this, you know, will be a, a, an offense that's trending in the right direction, moving in the right direction, doing much better than just the 21 and a half points uh, per ball game. So I like that relationship between the head coach and the quarterback. There is a Jalen McMillan on the wide receiver spot. Uh, that is a promising young receiver that led the team with 39 receptions last year. Uh, just 12 yards of carry, just the three touchdowns. But if that, as a freshman, if he can progress, 
into a into a you know a more uh, prominent role uh, than or you know more prominent feature I should say then uh then maybe there's something there to build around offensively uh, for this Washington team and uh, the talent defensively is certainly there they only gave up right at uh, just under 23 points per game last season so if they can recapture some of that magic then uh, then yeah I don't think there's any reason to believe they can't be uh, this is one of the weaker schedules so there's no reason to believe they can't be uh, back around you know maybe seven or eight wins uh, for the upcoming year yeah and you know what they haven't recruited horribly either like they've been pretty good it, it just it just has to like I just need to see I need to see an offensive identity you know yeah um, I, and so um one of the teams that we we both agreed on because I, I think you said Oregon State correct for tier three I do have Oregon State in tier three this is a team that I actually almost put tier two yeah there yes there were seven and six last year they're returning nine nine defensive starters and six offensive starters when I look when man did you get a chance to watch them last year because I, I watched them quite a bit did you watch them not as much as it sounds like you did. Well, I, I just I, I was just always a, I was just a huge fan of BJ Baylor when he, while he was there, um, their running back, and you know he he just he did so well, and they just seemed to fight so hard, and they seemed to just always be in every game. Like you go and look at their games, yeah, they lost six games, but I'm looking at I'm looking at their loss to Purdue, they lost by nine. To Washington State, they lost by a touchdown. To California, to Cal, they lost. You know, they lost by fourteen. But to Colorado, they only lost by three. And then when they lost, they lost to Oregon, or they they beat Oregon. No, they lost to Oregon. They lost to Oregon by nine. Like they didn't get blown out by anybody last year. This Oregon State team played with like I, I want to say a moxie. Like they weren't scared of anyone they played last year. Mm-hmm. And this year they get Boise State, who I actually think they can beat. They get a Fresno State they can beat, a Montana State that they can beat, and there's there's teams within their conference that I'm actually pretty confident they can they can go toe to toe with, and they get Oregon at home this year, and they get Washington State at home, and they get Colorado. I mean, the hardest game they have is the hardest, yeah, the hardest in conference game they have is at Utah, and they get USC at home early. They get a USC team that I'm not a huge fan of early in the year at home. I mean, I, I think this team could get eight wins this year, especially if their defense with the nine return starters continues to play, play strong and play tough. And if they can get some, they can get some, um, continue to have Chance Nolan, who's going to be a junior this year, to grow in. Hey, let's get these interceptions down, man. You had 19 touchdowns last year. Let, let's, you know, and then 10 interceptions. Let's try to cut that down to, you know, maybe six or seven interceptions. So I, I I like Oregon State. In fact, they I think I think they have a chance if if some if some dice rolls their way. I think they actually could contend for the conference. But I'm going to put them in the wings because I just think I th- I think some things some things that probably won't happen have to fall into place for them. Five point three yards per carry last year. Five point four yards per carry in the COVID shortened season uh, on offense. Two hundred and twelve yards they averaged on the ground. They do lose B.J. Baylor, but. Deshaun Fenwick is not a bad running back by any stretch of the imagination. I didn't get a chance nope. to see him at Oregon State, but I did see him against Florida, or I'm sorry, uh, in South Carolina against Florida and thought South Carolina should have ran him a whole lot more than they did, and maybe they could have upset the Gators uh, at at one point. Maybe it was that COVID-shortened season that he was there uh, when they played him early on in the season, and 
Deshaun Fenwick was a really nice running back. So giving him more carries for the upcoming season, he had 78 last year. You can get him more opportunities, 5.7 yards a carry. I think Deshaun Fenwick is a guy you can build around, potentially helping Chance Nolan with that progression, taking some of the heat off of him or some of the pressure off of him. So I don't hate anything that you said about uh, Oregon State. They were very strong in a lot of uh, proficiency numbers on offense last year, and there's no reason to believe that that can't continue going into this season. And like you said with USC, with all the uh, you know with all the flair for the Trojans, nobody's expecting them to have a super great defense. They go and match up with Oregon State. They they could have a marathon on their hands with a team who did play fairly well defensively last year. Uh, considering, you know, jumping from 33 points per game in 2020 to 25.8 points a game last year. If they can take another step with nine starters returning, maybe maybe they have enough to win back-to-back, you know, drives against USC in the fourth quarter of a a close game. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Who knows? All right, so the team that we disagree on, do you know who it is? Uh, Is it UCLA? Yeah, it very much is. You, You have them in tier two? Yeah, uh, I I have UCLA trending upwards. I do think I ended up putting them in three because I thought I could set. I don't hate them being in tier two at all. And a lot of it has to do with them, USC and Utah all in the uh, north or is it all in the south? I'm sorry. They all three of those teams, Robbie, could potentially have nine wins by the end of the year, independent of their games with one another. All three of those teams will play each other, and I went through their schedule. If things bounce the right way, they could have each of them nine wins by the end of the season and be right there in the thick of things. So I don't mind UCLA uh, in the in the championship picture uh, at all. I, I kind of had them there at the beginning of the uh, conversation. Well, let me let me ask you this because I'm going to be positive on them here in a minute. What's your what was your hesitation, or what what made you what pushed you towards putting them? In the in the you know in the wings you know still trying to get out of the the ditch so to speak. Yeah. So defensively, I'm not super thrilled with UCLA. Uh, they've lost a lot of pieces uh, on that side of the football. The recruiting for for good old Chip Kelly has not been overwhelmingly great. So. I think from that standpoint, I want, uh, I I want to, I want to be cautious on UCLA. Dorian Thompson Robinson and then uh, Zach Charbonnet. That kind of seems to be the 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 building block for this team. What else are they leaning on to go after a championship? Uh, what else is there? And if you've got something great, but they've got to break in some new receivers that were a part of the receiving game last year, but both of them only had 17 catches, so they weren't focal points. They've got to break those two guys in. They do lose a a good number of uh, their tackles from last year, their starters from last year as well. So what else are they leaning on outside of DTR and Zach Charbonnet? And I thought maybe that might be a reason to drop them down one spot if people don't step up like they're expecting them to. Well, you make a... Make a really strong argument. Um, I I think they made. I mean, I think they made. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's almost like we we do this. You know, you've done this before. Um, them, <coughs> excuse me. 
them taking steps up in points per game and yards per game from the first two years to to you know to now. Like he started off his first two years, Chip Kelly, twenty four and twenty six points per game. This past year, they they were at they were at thirty five points per game. The 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 offense is starting to get built. The offense has. I, well, actually, I don't, I don't think it's starting. I think it has. I mm-hmm. I also look at the fact that their schedule, dude, their out of conference schedule is a joke. They play Bowling Green, Alabama State, South Alabama. That's three straight wins. Then they play at Colorado. That's a win. They play Washington at home on a Friday night. That should be a win, dude. They should be five and zero going into that game against Utah at home. I, be- I believe they can be. Me too. I, I want to re- reiterate, I think this team could potentially win nine games this year. Mm-hmm. But the important games will be the Utah, the Oregon, and the USC. They have to play all three of those teams, and they go to, uh, they go to Oregon, and well, I believe they're Utah. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, their, their schedule is incredibly hard for a four-week stretch. Or, I'm sorry, for a three-week stretch. They they get Washington on a Friday night. Then the next week, Utah comes to town. They have a bye week, and then they go to Oregon. Yeah. And, I, I like, de- depending on – like, let's just say for craps and giggles, they upset Utah. That game against Oregon could decide. Who, if, you know, if they could yes. get one of those deciding games, Utah, Oregon, USC, Washington, mm-hmm. as we throw that one in there as well – then this, then the conversation changes, and 10, 11 wins is on the table, and conference championship is definitely in the in the spot. I believe this is a team that could get those nine wins, and then maybe stumble with Utah, Oregon, and uh, and USC. And see, I, I I think they handle USC. Like I'm not I'm not saying blow them. I don't no. know if anybody's going to handle USC. Uh, what what I mean is I don't think I I'm not, I was trying to say I'm not blow them out, but I think they're going to I think they're going to handle their business and win that game. Gotcha. Um. And also, just to say, Dorian Thompson Robinson and Zach Charbonnet are incredible tandem. Yeah, they are. They are awesome. Charbonnet last year averaged five point six yards per carry. Uh, Tom uh, Robinson averaged four point seven. Like these guys, these guys together had twenty four rushing touchdowns. Tack on Robinson's twenty one passing touchdowns with only six interceptions last year. Robinson seemed to get a handle of the offense in a way that maybe people didn't expect, and I, I expect him to only get better this year in his senior year, his last go of it. Here is my one concern, because I'm, I'm going to keep them in Tier 2, but my concern is the defense. Mm-hmm. Is Can the defense can the defense just do enough? You don't have to be lights out. You don't have to be you – know, you, don't, you don't have to hold teams to 10 points a game. It would be great if you did, but can, can you just do enough? Can you get enough stops – to help your team, to help your offense get on the field more. So, well, Rob, that was almost who they were last year. 26 yeah. and a, 26.8 points per game. That's almost in that realm of doing just enough and kind of just skating by in, in certain, in, in certain facets, in, in my opinion. I think that's who they were last year and they lose so much on that side of the ball that it just kind of makes me nervous to think, you know, do they have the upgrades? Because, you know, like you've always focused on recruiting has not been great. You know, is your development going to make up the gap enough on that side of the football to put you in the game against Utah, Oregon, and uh, USC while also preventing you from stumbling somewhere else uh, in this schedule? You know, Pac-12 teams, even Oregon and Utah, have had their odd, you know, stub stub of the toe on the on a corner of the desk. 
Uh, all of these teams have had those moments over the last few years. Mm-hmm. Are uh, my you, tier two teams are yeah. USC and Oregon. Um, those teams could be right there in the thick of it. Yeah. Did you have USC in tier three? No, no, no. I, I'm not. I'm not that crazy. I, I mean, I of the three in my tier two, they are the lowest ranked. Okay. Yeah. You've got U, uh, UCLA in, in tier two. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do. We're gonna inverse this. I'll be negative about USC. You be positive. Okay. Okay. So you're a bad cop. I'm a good cop. Yeah. Their their offensive line was not good last year. They didn't really fix that. They brought in one guy in the transfer portal. And all of this, I just want to make this a resounding, all this is under the blanket of the fact that this is a first-year coach with a first-year coaching staff with a first-year starter for USC. Not first-year starter completely, first-year starter for USC. Okay, Let's just go ahead and throw that out there because I think that is an important part of this equation. Their offensive line... Huh? Sorry? In what way? I'm sorry. I don't mean to throw you off track, but in in what way is... His, it's just a hurdle. It, it's a hurdle that a yeah. team has to go that ha, has to has to go through. Like we're going to talk about another team in a minute in the same tier that is dealing with almost the exact same thing. Yeah. Um, okay, go ahead. It, it's just you get you, you got to learn. You you got to get on the same page with these receivers. You've got you know you as a coach have to figure out the players that you have. And they've gone to the transfer portal and they've gotten all these guys. But guess what? Out of all these guys, really only one or two of them are actually elite. And and I think both of them like one's a one's a linebacker and. And then, you know, and then you've got the wide receiver and you, you've got Addison and you've got Caleb Williams, which I'll let you talk about here in a minute. And I'm not de- denying that at all, but their defense was so bad last year. Here are some of the scores that they gave up 42 points, 45 points, 42 points, 31 points, 34 points, 62 points, 35 points and 24 points. Dude, they gave up so many points last year. And I'm sorry, but last time I checked, Lincoln Riley is not necessarily known for having a defensive team. So you're coming into a program that already didn't have talent on the defensive side of the ball, and you're going to try to come in and, and win a title with with high-powered offense, which, hey, could very well be possible. But I'm I, I'm just not high on USC this year. I, I think I think they could be incredible next year, but I'm just I'm just not high on them this year, except for the offense. They're going to be fun to watch. That's probably yeah. the best thing I can say. So my counter would be, when did Lincoln Riley have a great defense at Oklahoma? And they still went and won 12 mm-hmm. games and won the Big 12. And they got to the Rose Bowl and they were in the conversation at the end of the year uh, when it came to, obviously, uh, when it came to the playoff and it came to being a part of the national championship picture. Now, obviously, those are lofty expectations for year one, which you've already mentioned. And that'll be, that'll make most of this tough. And obviously, it's LA, which is going to be different from Norman as well. So I certainly acknowledge those differences. The offensive side of the ball has added a unique amount of talent and rob what might be most important if that offensive line can stay healthy because i agree with you the offensive line's got to stay healthy because they don't have a lot of depth behind them if they can stay healthy if they can develop a little bit under lincoln riley and what he wants to do and they can get the ground game going travis die could be the saving the linchpin for this whole thing if he and the rest of the running back room can get going downhill and they can open up that aspect of this offense, then that could really put USC in a driver's seat going through the rest of the season. And the schedule is a benefit for USC this year as well. They are not going to be playing overwhelming opponents for this upcoming season. They've got Rice at Stanford, Fresno State at Oregon State. Those are nice two games to start the year off. And you get a chance to sort of get your feet wet and then you take a, a, at least one step up in competition. So you kind of get that progress or, you know, easing into the water 
to start the year. Caleb Williams is a really solid talent. Jaden Addison is obviously a Bolitnikoff winner. Mario Williams is a five-star as well. There's so much talent. Brandon Rice has transferred in as well. Jerry Rice. Taj Uh, Robinson's a dude, too. Just one of those. Taj Robinson. Yep, absolutely. And then you've got uh, Travis Dye as well, the running back that could end up uh, being, like I said, you know, a really major factor in uh, in this entire setup. So while I agree with you, the defense is going to be an issue. Lincoln Riley's kind of used to that. This offensive system for him is kind of used to that. Would you I'm interested to see how it goes? Would you be surprised if they kind of they stumble in a few games that you probably don't expect? In which games are you thinking? Okay, um, let's just say they lose. Let's just say they lose the Oregon State game. They lose the Utah. They lose the Notre Dame. Fair. Like we just say, those three games. I what think if, they could lose those three games, and I would not be surprised. What if they lost at UCLA? Wouldn't be surprised. Okay, so now, so now here's the stumble part. What if they stumble against a Washington State or a Cal? Like Cal, like like Wilcox just comes up with a freaking best defensive defensive uh, game plan to to slow them down. Because okay, so I think you're talking me into it. No, I wouldn't be surprised. If they stumble, it is year one. Caleb Williams did have his struggles last year, mm-hmm. uh, especially against some of the better defensive teams. If Cal can come up, like you said, with a defensive scheme, then maybe that does get into Caleb Williams. Maybe the pressure from L.A. plays a factor. You're obviously not learning a new system, but a lot of people around you are learning a new system. So, no, I I think you're talking me into it. No, I would not be surprised if they're in that position where – uh, they have that kind of hiccup. Because where was that stat? Like you, you, you sent me some incredible stats about Caleb Williams last week. Do you, do you have those in front of you by chance? Yeah, I can pull them up because that was going to be the one thing I was going to counter my counter, expecting <laughs> you to use against me uh, if I was fighting myself. This is how it would go, uh, Dwight Schrute. Thank you. The the defenses in yeah the the defenses in the Big Twelve are not as good as some of the Pac-12 defenses potentially that they could be seeing. I mean, Utah should be good defensively. Oregon has a chance to be good defensively. And then Cal, Notre Dame, uh, Oregon State might be stingy a little bit as well. Arizona State could be stingy if, if that thing works out for them. I know they don't have Oregon on the regular season schedule, but Lincoln Riley might see a few tougher defenses as – uh, as the season progresses, then maybe he was used to seeing when he was at uh, Oklahoma. Yeah, because like now that we've talked about it, like he, I think I, I think honestly, USC could stumble into eight and four with the offensive talent they have, right? Yeah, yeah. But if they catch a couple of the, if they catch a certain team on a bad night, like they're playing bad on one of these nights, I, I just think it's more likely they go eight and four. And stay at eight and four than it is them going ten and two, or yeah. or, or or something like that. I I just I just have more faith in the teams that are you know that, that. And here's the thing, like I trust Lincoln Riley. Like I think he's a great coach. I do think he's going to make USC a title contender. I just is it okay if I just don't think they're going to be a title contender this year? No, yeah, and I, I don't. I think they lose. And this isn't to you. That, that's, lose, not, yeah, right. that, that's not directed so, at you. That's yeah, directed at yeah, yeah. the narrative that has been going on for the last for the past couple months of like how USC was like getting all this betting on them 
to, to win the title or make the playoff this year. Like, are y'all high? Did you not see well, their everybody defense? Everybody hates the Pac-12, yeah. Like, have y'all, have y'all seen? Did y'all see their defense last year? Did you see their O-line? Like, I just, I, I, just, I just struggled with hearing that. And, but I don't, but I think eight and four is a huge success for a first year coach coming into the talent pool that he is because everyone thinks that USC is so overloaded with talent because they're USC. But let me just be honest with you. They're only overloaded at talent at quarterback and wide receiver. They are not stacked anywhere else. And that's a problem. You need depth to win big games. And I don't think they have the depth this year to do that. I I don't, uh, I don't argue uh, at all. That stat for Caleb Williams' first four games of taking over for the Sooners last year, Texas included, 72 of 98, 73.5% completion, uh, just over 1,000 yards, 14 touchdowns, one interception. Against, that's the first four games, against Baylor, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, and Oregon to finish out the season, 58 of 102, 56.9% completion, 700 yards, seven touchdowns, and three interceptions. So what are you trying to tell against us? Some of the, yeah, against some of the better defenses, Caleb Williams was definitely a freshman last year, and he does have another year. Uh, obviously, he has that year underneath his belt, and he's coming into year two. Same system. Uh, you know, you could argue upgrades in talent around him, and, you know, maybe he, he, you know, he avoids some of this, but he was certainly a freshman at times last year, and he certainly has things that he's got to grow through. So that development has to happen, and if it doesn't, then yeah, slip ups and hiccups are you know right around the corner. Yeah, Oregon. Yeah. All right, it's bow it's bow time. Shut up! Oh my gosh, bow time, baby. Let's go, Oregon Ducks. Dan Lanning upset Georgia week one, baby. Let's go. Bo Nix is going to throw for three hundred and fifty yards on thirty five attempts. He's going to have three touchdowns. He's going to run for 100 yards and and another touchdown, and it's going to be bow time, baby. Bow time. You done? Yes, continue. I'm going to be so mad if he does well at Oregon. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Like, I'm serious, but I'm kidding at the same time. It, it really does. Like, the Oregon or Oregon has the talent that they have been, They have recruited. Chris Vaughn uh, recruited incredibly well. This defense is going to be so gross. Like this, de- like this defense is so nasty. N- Noah Sewell and Justin Flo are, pro- are probably two of the best uh, linebacker duos in the country. They return. They return eight on offense on an offense that got the job done in the biggest games last year. Except, really, like I, I still can't believe they lost that game to Stanford. But the the team that really kind of exposed them two times was Utah. Um, and so that's kind of where I'm at. I think they can compete for a title. I think their out-of-conference schedule is actually one of the toughest in the conference with them having to play Georgia and also having to play BYU, but they get BYU at home. But the rest of their schedule kind of lays out to where it, it, it kind of helps them in conference. Their out-of-conference does not, but their in-conference does help them have a really good shot of making the play – or I'm sorry, making the, uh, the conference uh, championship – but for me, it all comes down to one thing. Is Bo Nix the answer at quarterback, or do we finally quit talking and finally see Ty Thompson? And I think Bo Nix is going to get the opportunity. Yeah. Uh, Bo Nix, I think, did not have the kind of talent around him at Auburn that he's going to get here 
in Eugene. And I think, and, and a part of this is hopefulness, but I think that's going to go a long way. The conventional wisdom says it should go a long way because he's supposed to be a really talented guy. And it's hard to display that talent when you're on the run for your life the entire time. And the coaching situation is weird. And of course, the talent that you're facing every week is is really uh, difficult. And Auburn's just a weird place to begin with. And not that people haven't succeeded down there, but two of the last quarterbacks that succeeded at Auburn were sort of freak athletes outside of uh, Jarrett Stidham and Nick Marshall and Cam Newton, you know, freak athlete kind of guys. So can Bo Nix come to perhaps a little bit more of a navigate, uh, you know, a better conference to navigate, better talent around him, and a team that is used to, you know, having a really good ground game as well. 5.3 yards per carry last year, 4.9, 4.8, 4.4, 5.2, 5.5, 5.9. Obviously different coaching staffs, but this is a team that's used to running the football as a part of their identity. There's no reason why that can't happen again this upcoming season. So, no reason for it not to be bow time, but he he certainly has to step up to it. it it's not going to be handed to him, of course. Well, well, look, they brought in a good offensive coordinator in Kenny Kenny uh, Dillingham, who was the OC at Memphis. He was OC at Auburn, uh, I think, Bo's freshman year, right. and and then he's been at Florida State the last two years. I, I'm focusing more on his time at Memphis when he was successful. So he he's aware of Bo Nix. Look, man, I, I just. I can't sit here for two years and bash the crap out of Bo Nix and then all of a sudden praise him because now he's at Oregon. I I don't think he's very good. I think good. you can. I think you just have to accept it. Just let it happen. I just, I just don't let it wash over you like a cool breeze. I just don't think he's very good. I, he's he is literally Sean Clifford to me. He is Sean Clifford. He he will make he will make one incredible play that we're like, oh my gosh, that's a video game play. And then he for the next three plays he makes will be the dumbest things you've ever seen and uh, but 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 their defense is going to be disgusting and so he's not going to be asked to do see at auburn to defend him at auburn he was almost asked to do everything mm-hmm. he you know you know what i'm saying like he was at, and he, isn't he coming off an injury too yes he did miss the last little bit of the last season with an injury yeah but i don't so, believe it was you know obviously he missed the time but i don't think it was i think he's okay you think 100%. he's fine percent okay yeah I mean, but here also the thing is, like, I kind of I just want to see Ty Thompson. Like I love seeing that kid when he was getting recruited. I, I've been wanting to see him play for Oregon. I, I, I thought he was going to be the answer, but the fact they brought in Bo Nix like they did tells us that he probably isn't ready, and he didn't play at all last year when Anthony Brown was playing so bad. Anthony Brown got got had so much clout because of how he played against Ohio State that it didn't matter how he played the rest of the year. You know what I'm saying? Like everyone was like, but look what he did against Ohio State. But but he was so bad against Utah in both games. I, I think Oregon Ducks can compete for a title. Um, I think they I think they will compete for a title. But it's 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 boomer bust with Bo Nix. All right, uh, Utah is at the top of both of our list. If yeah, there's a the, playoff team in this conference, it is the, the Utah team. Utes. And uh, pick six preview actually has Utah in the playoff as well. Guess so who else we're not the, the only playoff. ones. Who's that? Me. Oh, nice. So <laughs> so the Utah Utes, it's, they've got some things that they're having to answer right now, uh, some questions, some boxes that they've got to get checked off here. But 
this is probably one of the the most anticipated Utah Utes teams in uh, and maybe ever because they're incredibly talented. This Utah team is returning exactly what they need to return. They're I, I think what helps them more than I think what helps them more than anything is the consistency that they're going to have a quarterback with Cam Rising. You go you go and look at I was doing some stats on him. Um, and I can't remember where I saw it, but from week four or five, whenever he start from whenever he started right last year, he led the country. Uh, what was the stat? I, I can't I can't remember he, whenever because he he didn't start at the beginning of the season, but it was like from the moment right. that he from the moment he started until the end of the season, he actually led the country in passing yards, passing touchdowns, and pass efficiency from the moment that he started in the year, and. The kid was great. Utah had one of the best offenses in the country last year, and no one knew about it because it's the Pac-12, and it's Utah, and no one pays attention to them. But Utah has a chance at the very beginning of the year to put themselves on the map and put themselves on, 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 a, on a path to the playoff. All you have to do, Utah, with your – with your, with your returning eight starters on offense, on offense that was awesome, including Tavion Thomas, who was dope, and Solomon Ennis. And, you know, yes, they're returning six on defense, but I just trust that they're going to find some freaking 32-year-old Mormon who's coming off mission to fit in on that defensive line and linebacker core. Here's what you do. You go into Gainesville week one, and you put a spanking on Florida. Because if they do that, that will put them in position – the rest of the season on notice, and if they they get you they ha, like they have two really tough games on their schedule this year. They go at they go to UCLA and they go to Oregon, and I just like it. I, I think I think this team has a chance to make the playoff. Uh, it like I can change this before the season starts, but right now they are one of my teams to make the playoff. I think they're going to win the conference, and I think they're going to run the table. I think they're going to go undefeated this year. So I like for three big hurdles on the schedule as well, because I agree with everything you said about the team. They do have to replace five of their top eight tacklers from last year, but Kyle Whittingham's sort of benefit of the doubt. They've been very good on that side of the football. Plenty of reason to believe that they'll have that part of the defense covered. Florida is going to be a big challenge at the beginning of the year. Florida's very talented, 60% on the blue chip ratio, a really a special a potential uh, and talent at quarterback for the Gators. We hadn't seen him play. Uh, you know, he's got, I think, one or two starts underneath his belt. So we haven't seen him be the full-time guy. But a really talented Gators team, it would mean a lot, like you said, to go down there and get that win in week one. Then on, on to October 8th and October 15th, you could be facing back-to-back teams out of L.A. And a high-powered offense from both of them. And that that is and the, then that's the two week stretch that could kill them. Yeah, and then at Oregon to finish the year, like you mentioned as well, is the other big hurdle. I said three. I meant to say four. If they face USC in the Pac-12 championship game at the end of the year, if that happens, if the Trojans are are on the march and they win that regular season game and see them again. I heard a line earlier this week that mentioned Lincoln Riley seeing a tough defense for the second time in a season usually favors Lincoln Riley. 
he's usually able to find that answer. So you got a couple of hurdles in the regular season, three of them, and then that Pac-12 championship game potentially against a USC, talented USC team uh, offensively, you know, could be the the other big hurdle there because you're obviously going to need to be undefeated to make it into the playoff. I don't know if you have one loss if if you can get in unless the loss is close to USC at the end of the year or in the in the middle of the year and then re-see them again in the championship game and you get the win and you sort of avenge it. Or if that loss is to Oregon and you see them again and avenge it. Uh, th- that might to- be a scenario that plays out. We we didn't we didn't say this at the beginning of the, the recording, but I just want to make mention the Pac-12 is a conference now for their conference title. They do not have divisions. It is the two best. And I think teams. the scheduling is set up in a division yes. way. Yes, 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 yes. I'm I'm, I'm right, just saying right. for the listener that didn't know. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. They are they are moving to the Big Twelve model of they're taking the two best winning percentages. So, and Utah, to your point, is playing three teams that are expected to have the highest winning percentages in the conference. So, and, and, and you could be looking at Oregon state as well, who, who we, who we both have already said, we, we like Oregon state uh, to push things and San Diego state's not a bad team out of the, out of the mountain West. And, and obviously Florida has plenty of potential to be, you know, a really tough get as well. So this is, in my opinion, it's not a super easy schedule for Utah. There's plenty of pitfalls here for, for a team who, has had who has stubbed their toe before in the past, like we mentioned earlier with some of these uh, Pac-12 teams. Well, last year, who was it? They lost. They lost two games at the beginning of the year. BYU, BYU and, and San Diego. Yep, yep. San Diego State, and then it was just kind of like after that, Oregon State caught them off guard. But they just seemed seem like a different. Again, the Cam Rising effect. Cam Rising changed everything for them. I, I, I think, man, I just. I just think this is a really good Utah team. I think Cam Rising makes them different. And I think, yes, while the schedule is tough, I just think the the schedule also puts them in such a position that if they're able to man, if man, if they only have one loss at the end of this and win their conference, it, it's gonna be one of those years where everyone's going to be arguing you have to put them in. But yeah, uh, they do have Washington State on on a Thursday, October twenty seventh. That could well, be, be uh, that could be a tricky tonight. spot. Yep. All right, Spencer. So last thing, and then we'll be done. Who's your championship game pick and who you got winning? Part of me wants to pick Utah and USC in the championship game. But also, you know, my logic says if I pick that and I have Utah beating them in the regular season, then that line keeps coming back to me that USC gets them in the championship game. I'm also not all the way confident USC gets to the championship game. I like Utah for sure in one of those spots, and I like Utah winning it. I'm just not completely sure who they win it over. If it's USC, I think that's their tallest task in the championship game. Uh, seeing them twice, seeing that Lincoln Riley offense twice, could be uh, uh, too much to handle. Could okay, be. I've got Utah versus UCLA in the championship game. I like it, and Utah winning, yeah. obviously. But but I wouldn't but I don't have to pick it now. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if UCLA gets them the first time. Oh, okay. Um, uh, October eighth. Uh huh. The thing the thing about what what's got to happen for you to beat Utah is yeah they're going to put up points, which is it's just a weird paradigm to deal with. They're going to put up points, but they're also going to hit you so hard in the mouth. Yeah. And what teams can score? 
score at will, but also take a punch to the mouth. And what we've seen in the past is Lincoln Riley seems cannot take a punch to the mouth. Very good. And uh, yeah, I just I I'm just I'm head over heels in love with Utah this year. But Utah UCLA in the in the championship game with Utah winning. I like it. All right, uh, he's Robbie. I'm Spencer. Two friends, one love, and that is college football. Be sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe. SpiderDude64 on Twitter for Roberto. I'm there, Spencer underscore Van Horn, V-A-N-H-O-R-N. We'll catch you on the flip-flop later. Later.